All right. Well, thank you, Ryan. It's kind of funny. The reason we had some confusion earlier is the plan was that all the kids would stay here and then you'd go because Ryan's going to be helping out with the teaching. So there he goes. And he's off. So um, also one last thing I want to remind you guys of. Uh, last week, if you were here, uh, you heard Matt talk about this coming week, and it sounds like Jack Bauer himself is coming to teach. Um, it's not Jack Bauer, but there is not going to be a live stream. Um, and so because of that, it's going to be an in-person only. Um, part of that is just for protection over the person who's going to be teaching. Um, it's, uh, per I, I love this man, love his wife, love his family. And um, so because of that, there's not a live stream. If you are on the live stream and that's um, how you are in community with us, um, we're encouraging you, if you can, bring chairs. There's tons of room. If I could hold up a mirror, you could actually see what the tent looks like. Um, there's tons of space. There's lots of room here. Um, but that's going to be an in-person only Sunday. Um, so with that said, uh, I want to kind of start off with a question, and we're going to have the tent going this whole time. It's going to be great. The question I would have, and it's, it's, it's one of those uh, kind of an icebreaker, if you will. If you had all the power, like all power, if you had all the authority, what would you do? Right? It's almost kind of like that, uh, if you had a genie give you a wish kind of a question of like, if you had all the power, if you had all the authority, what would you do? When I first asked this question of myself, this kind of shows you my heart, um, it was right after driving pretty far, and I was like, I would move all the drivers to the right side who don't know how to go, not the speed limit, but the appropriate limit. You know what I'm talking about. Um, to all of our CHP friends, I love you. Um, Right? At, at times as a parent, I would, if I had all the authority and power, I would help my kids choose kindness as opposed to violence <laughs> with one another. Right? There, there's a lot of ways we could answer that question, right? Or we can start to think really big picture of just some of the justice or bringing peace to this world or righting some of the wrongs. If I could do that, why wouldn't I? Well, I want you to think about that question because this week, the big idea we're talking about in our scriptures. We're going to be in John chapter 13. If you want to start flipping there, if you're like me and you have a paper Bible, it's going to be flipping around today in the wind. But John 13, here's the big idea. It's that Jesus shows us what power is really for. Jesus is going to show us what do we use power for. All right, so as you're turning to John 13, we are at a critical spot in this book. We've been going through the book of John for, oh my goodness, maybe five Five months, somewhere, somewhere around there. It's been a long time, and we've reach, officially reached about halfway through the book of John. Um, it's kind of divided into two halves, and 13 begins the second half, because the first half, John is telling all sorts of stories. There's this predictable pattern where he's showing a miracle where he's going to feed 5,000 people. Then Jesus says a few words explaining why he did that. Then he would maybe raise Lazarus from the dead, explain Here's why I did that. It's this constant going back and forth of many signs, many wonders, and teaching, explaining it. Well, the entire second half of John, there is a single miracle that is going to be happening. It's a big one. It's that Jesus is going to rise from the dead. And for John, he's like, everything is leading into this moment. In fact, if you look at the very first verse, he says, Jesus knows, right, that his hour had come. And so, 
John is not trying to only write down a chronology of Jesus' life. He, at this point, when John writes his gospel, we already have Mark. We already have Matthew. We already have Luke. We already have these other testimonies. But John has a unique perspective. He's Jesus' best friend. So he doesn't just know the public things that Jesus says that Luke would have had by interviewing people. He actually has those private moments where after you go out and you come back to your house and you have conversations about what happened that night, John has those. John even writes down times where Jesus kind of leans over and whispers to his best friend. And John's like, you need to know this. And so when John writes his gospel, and I think this story is one of the most key stories of this thing, he's not trying to tell you all that Jesus did. He's trying to fill in the gaps of there's certain things you need to know about my best friend. There's certain moments you need to know. Yes, you know that there was a Passover meal. Yes, you know that Judas betrays him that night. That's all true. But you need to know what also happened that night. And that's our story. If you're not there already, John 13. We're going to read the first 11 verses for now. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God, that he was going back to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to feet and to wipe them with the towel he had wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, why do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, well, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said not all of you are clean. All right, keep those verses there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you a few things here. I already mentioned this, but verse one, when it says that the hour had finally come, throughout the book of John, it is constantly telling us, not yet, not yet, not yet, right? After Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead, nope, not yet. After he feeds the 5,000, nope, not yet. There's that moment, um, I remember when that was teaching it, where they were trying to apprehend Jesus, and Jesus kind of like just jukes and dodges his way, and they can't hold him. Why? Because it was not yet. And so you have this kind of buildup of pressure, this buildup of anticipation, and here John is saying, it's go time. The hour's here. It's, it's coming. So here's a man with all authority. He understands, verse 3, Jesus knows who he is. As he's been growing in stature, as Jesus has grown in wisdom, he has realized, wait, it's God. 
of God. He's, he's come to this. He's grown in this way. And he has all authority. And let me be clear. As I said, he was growing in that. That is not that he became God or anything like that. That would be a big heresy. I'm not saying that. Um, but Jesus fully understands who he is. He understands that he has all the power. He understands he has all the authority. He understands he's the second person of the Trinity. And with that power and with that authority, he decides to stand up from a meal, walk over. He takes off his outer garments. He grabs a towel and he systematically goes around the table, washing the feet of some of his closest followers, of his friends. This is a moment. <laughs> I used to always love thinking of how awkward this moment would be, because I think it certainly would be awkward, because as you're getting into the meal, as you're getting into the wine, people like the conversation's flowing, they're having a good time, telling jokes, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, Jesus is getting up, and you look over and you're like, oh, Jesus is taking off his shirt. Oh, wait, wait, what's up? Whoa, what's going on? And then Jesus grabs a towel and starts going to maybe Philip's feet. Awkward. Then after that, maybe there's Andrew. And there's, like, you know, you start going disciple by disciple. He starts working himself around the table. I don't think there's a lot of talking going on right now. I think this moment, there's this huge, like, what is happening? There's a lot said how there's this ceremony where you would typically need to wash the feet of someone when they come into your house. But with that, foot washing was considered such a low position, literally like that Jewish servants were not even allowed to wash feet because it's the idea of like if you're one of the chosen one, you can't even, you're, no, you're not allowed to do that. We have to find someone even lower than a servant. And so often this ceremony would be neglected. So the fact that feet weren't washed, I don't think it was as culturally taboo as some people would say it is, but everyone was aware of it. Everyone knew, okay, it's a thing. Okay, we didn't have it, right? It, it's, it's, it's one of those things you do. But the shock here is not that someone was washing feet. It's that someone of such power, of someone of such authority would honestly degrade themselves and walk around washing feet. This is the picture of humility. Because I think we get humility wrong all the time. Often when we think of humility, I, I, my mind runs to sports, and it's that whole humble brag <laughs> culture, right, of like, you got to stay humble. We're 73 and 9, but, yo, you know, it's my teammates. Oh, he's so humble. It's like, no. Sometimes we think like self deprecation Don't turn off the mic. We think that self-deprecating jokes are humble, right? If I just kind of make fun of myself playfully time and time again, oh, clearly Rob must be a humble guy. But really, it's like, oh, it's a game we're playing socially. Or sometimes we think humility is just complete low self-esteem, no confidence, just thinking you're lower than low. It's like, oh, that's a humble person. It's like, no, that's a person who doesn't understand that they're made in the image of God. But here is Jesus he doesn't think he's a slave. He doesn't think he's nobody. He knows he comes from God. He knows where he's going. And he chooses to serve. 
he chooses to lower himself. That's humility. He takes on the role of a servant. The book of Philippians chapter 2, it talks about this. The whole chapter is amazing. I'm just going to read two verses, verses 7 and 8. If you want to write them down if you take notes, or if I think they're even on the screen. Talking about Jesus, it's that he, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, being humble isn't just thinking that you are garbage. It's choosing to put others first. It's choosing to serve, to sacrifice, to give of yourself. And this humility, I think it shows true power. See, this isn't a moment where Jesus is just showing how weak he is. This is actually a moment where Jesus is showing us a new way to the kingdom. See, the book of Matthew is all about this idea, but we see it everywhere because it's what Jesus was about, is that we don't think of power the way the world thinks of power. The Bible often describes it as an upside-down kingdom. See, traditionally, when you think of a, a kingdom, right, you'd have a king, you kind of have like the, uh, well, I've been watching some of those Knights of the Round Table movies on Netflix recently, right? You kind of have the upper people, the upper management, and you have the middle management. You start working your way down through to, to you get to the uh, commoners, and you have the peasants, and you, got, you keep going lower and lower, and you figure out, hey, the kingdom, if there's a big king, he doesn't do certain things. The royalty don't do certain things. But the way the kingdom of God works, it actually flips upside down that pyramid. It turns things on its head and it's like, oh, you want to be great? You actually need to serve. You want to be first? Believe it or not, go to the back of the line. And it's not, if you're like me, I grew up in the church, so it's like this judo moment. Of, well, I do want to be great, so I'm just going to go in the back of the line, so that way that's the really great people in the back. It's like, no, no, no. It, it, thinking of it as worldly power. It's, it's not just that there is the same power, though. I, I, I'm going to, this is a very complicated idea. I want to throw some script, but I want you guys to write these down, okay? 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 24, and James 3, 13 to 18. If you have no idea what I'm referencing, I feel for you. Then 2 Corinthians 12. I don't have the time to teach those. But those are the key texts talking about how it's not just that the way of God uses the opposite of the ways of this world. It actually talks about that there are completely two different sources of power. There are two different types of kingdoms. And it's not just that we choose to use the power a different way. It's that there's a completely different source. The book of James talks about it as there's power from above and there's also power from below, kind of the power of this world. And so the power from below, it serves a purpose. You. And so I build a resume. Maybe I make myself smart by going to school, or maybe I have emotional intelligence, or maybe I have some cash and I can use that to influence, or I can have some social capital, or I can use these different things, and I use my power Maybe I have a bigger army than you. Whatever it is, I use my power to get things to benefit me. Sometimes we can even use it in a weird way where I use my power to benefit you, but it makes me look good, and so I'm still using worldly power to do a good thing. Does that make sense? And he's saying, that's the way the world works. 
When you go to, you know, the workplace and there is this weird, you know, at times toxic environment where people are competing and it's like, yeah, that's left to its devices. That's the way the world tends to work. But this worldly power from below, it's not to be the way of the kingdom of God. It's not to be the way the church operates, the followers of Jesus. It says that there's this power that comes from above, this power from God. And the power from God, it's going to be a different source. It's not coming from you anymore. It's literally coming from God. And this power, it's going to come, believe it or not, when we humble ourselves. It's going to come when we feel weakest. It's going to come when you are dependent. Because it's not from you. It's almost like we have to turn off our strength to open up the valve of the strength from God. And so the point of this love, the point of this power, it's not for me to advance my life. Many people love to use Jesus' things to try to advance their own life. It happens all the time. The point of this power from above is to love people. The true end result, you see Jesus using it here, is to love. Not even to advance himself. It's to love his followers. And so back to our story. This is not Jesus in a point of weakness. This, I believe, is Jesus in a point of strength. Jesus washes feet. Think about that. The person that all of this is for, the reason why we are a church, the reason why we gather, what he's about is sacrificially loving people, humbling himself and taking on the dirty, nasty, unspeakable roles. That's wild. And I think when John writes this down, this is his best friend, I think the reason why he lists this is because it's so countercultural, but it's a moment of power. Think about that. Jesus has the power to rise Lazarus back from the grave. Jesus has the power to feed 5,000 people. And Jesus has the power to wash feet. The first couple miracles are really cool. This, the last one's like, yeah, I get it. It is a different source of power. It is going to have to come from a different place. But what's interesting about this text is John starts going around, and as he's getting, uh, Jesus is going around as eventually he gets to Peter. Now, I love Peter because Peter loves Jesus, but he is hard-headed he shoots first, asks questions later, right? He does not aim. He just, passionate, passionate person. And Peter looks at Jesus and is like, Jesus, this ain't going to work, man. You aren't going to touch these toes because I know who you are. I wash your feet. And Jesus is like, uh, Peter, I don't think you quite understand the game we're playing here, man. <laughs> if Jesus doesn't serve you, you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the part of the story, I think, for most of us who grew up in the church or maybe been around long enough, we've kind of used these worldly structures in our life, and we think when times we compete, who can serve the most? And no, 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 you don't serve me. I bring you the meals. And so when I have need, I don't tell you about that. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Yeah. Guess what? You're Peter. I'm Peter. We're all Peter. The problem is 
we're going to have to humble ourselves to allow Jesus to serve us. And he literally is saying, guess what? If you don't, I don't know what you're following because you're not following the ways of Jesus. That's a harsh statement. It's a harsh statement because there's also this metaphor that's going on here that Jesus, he's not literally saying you need to have Jesus wash your feet. He's kind of saying this washing of feet is also a metaphor going on where Jesus is cleansing you. In the, hidden in the text, you'll, uh, you'll kind of notice, if you read the book of John in one sitting, which I, we always recommend, you would notice that John goes out of his way to talk about how Jesus is basically kind of wearing a towel. It's like, John, why are, you, why are you going on your way to mention that? The next time you see Jesus dressed like this is on a cross. John's bringing this metaphor and saying, he's not just washing feet, he's pointing out that he needs you need him to apply his death and resurrection to your life. It's not my morality that would save me. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus that you can't be good enough. It's the good news of Jesus that it doesn't matter if you can turn your life around. He is that good. It's not your resume. It's not your accomplishments. It's not how much money you give, how many boxes you can do. Is that Jesus was that good. 1 John 1, 9, I love it because it continues that, that picture. It says, if we confess our sins, if we admit, yes, Jesus, I need you, I have done wrong, he is faithful and just. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So literally, let, let me translate this verse to our story here. If we are willing to humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I need you to wash my feet. Jesus, I need you to forgive me. He's really faithful and he will. But you have to humble yourself and say, I need this. That's all that's required. That's it. And it's the faith that's saying, I, Jesus, I'm gonna trust that you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you will do. Later on, in case if you don't get it, there's this book of Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 8, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, right? What do, you, what do you contribute? You trusted Jesus. It was his grace that saves you through faith. And in case if you didn't understand it, it's not of your own doing. I like that translation. You didn't do this. It's a gift of God. The kids receiving these gifts, all they have to do is open them. They were a gift from you, from y'all. The gift of the gospel is given and accomplished by Jesus. We just have to, in faith, say, I need you, Jesus. That's the beauty. And so it takes humility to even become a follower of Jesus because you have to admit, I need him. But it's also the way forward. This pride that prevents us from receiving. It'll be our undoing. And a lot of people say, okay, Jesus saves me, and now we basically live a life of Christian pride, saying things are upside down. I serve the most, I do the most, but I'm still tacking up and tallying my worldly resume just with Christian accomplishments. And it's not the way of Jesus. It's something entirely different. We need humility to follow Jesus. So Jesus wants to cleanse you and we desperately need it. Let's keep reading. 
John 13. You guys with me still? Sorry, this is a very stark sermon right now. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and he resumed his place. He said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash your feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus isn't just showing us his humility here. We see it. He's not just showing us kingdom power here. He's showing us and leading us to a path for us to follow. See, the point is Jesus washes feet. But he also says, guess what? So do you. Congratulations, you're in the foot washing business. Like, really? That's kind of gross. He's like, yeah, tell me about it. Have you seen Peter? (laughs) This metaphor of sacrificially loving and humbling ourselves to do whatever love would require of us, that is the beauty of the church. As I was just thinking about this, my my mind went to different times. Like, I had the opportunity a few years ago, I got to go on a Hurricane Harvey relief trip. Um, It was amazing. Um, So you have this entire hangar in Houston, they, they kind of dedicated to it. And over in this one corner, you have like the FEMA tent. So there's a tent inside a hangar, makes sense. Um, and FEMA, they're just cutting checks. If you have an address and you're affected, boom, you get money, you get money, you get money. They had like two tables. The other like 18,000 square feet of this airplane hangar is Christian organization after Christian organization of people coming in, people who are flying and shipping in drywall, people who are doing everything they can to get diapers on site. And all of a sudden, this entire airport hangar is full of relief organizations. And if you look closer, it's not just people who cut a check. It's moms, it's dads, it's people who are taking weeks off of work so they can come and cut nasty, moldy drywall and to chip away tile that's been like, you know, completely floated up. It's doing all these menial tasks and it's not that they're trying to prove anything, it's because love requires it of them. It's the beauty of the church. Yeah, I think of even here in Thousand Oaks, you read the acorn, you talk about the homeless, the homeless, the homeless, there's all these things about what are we gonna do You know what the most effective way that the city has loved the homeless? It's actually been the churches banding together. Harbor House is multiple churches pooling their their cash and saying, we want to find housing, we want to find medical care, we want to find food, we want to do everything we can, provide programs, placement, everything we can. It's the beauty of the church. Mother Teresa's famous not because she was a good speaker, but because she gave people dignity as they died. It's the beauty of following Jesus. I think there's this danger, though. I've talked about it several times already. That as the church, as followers of Jesus, we would take the temptation and the bait and say that this, we find a goal that could be a God-honoring goal, but we choose to use the world's power. 
We try to flex muscles. We try to use everything we can in our own influence. We do these things to accomplish this. And so we'll say like the ends will justify the means. That's not the way it works. Jesus cares as much about the means we use as he does the ends. Jesus isn't lacking power. He's not lacking cash. He's not lacking the ability to accomplish his will. What he needs are people who are willing to not think that they're better than Jesus. Do you guys catch those verses where he's talking about that? He's like, I'm your teacher. You're not better than me. This is the way. <laughs> the Mandalorian. This is the way. That we choose humility. That Jesus, when flexing his full power and authority, he doesn't go to preach more sermons. He goes and washes feet. Please do not, listen, do, do not lose that. And so we don't fight fire with fire. In fact, if we choose to use the power from below and trying to accomplish Jesus' mission, we often end up just destroying the very thing we're trying to, to do. I remember um, I've been involved in several churches. I don't want to, but there was one that was particularly toxic for a moment. And I remember someone pulled me aside once at a really kind of ugly meeting, and they said, you know what? No one likes seeing how the sausage is made. It's like, wow. Is that what we got as the church? No. It's good enough for Jesus. I think it's good enough for us. He's literally telling us this is the way we are to do. And so I think that there's this current cultural moment we have of something called deconstruction, right? Where many people, they're kind of wondering do I really want to be about the things? Well, actually, they're not really asking if I want to be a part of Jesus. It's that they've looked at the church and they see the church is so full of abusive power, so full of corrupt things that they're like, I'm out on the church. It's the danger. They're, they're looking at this and they're saying, we're not following the ways of Jesus. But I don't want to keep this, you know, removed and think that this is why we need to have good church leadership. It is a way. But we do this all the time. I think of my own house. <laughs> when a marriage, at times we can reduce ourselves to who owes who at times. Who's able to get what done and how can I use that little, turn the gears, little manipulation, put a little pressure on each other. Like, no, that's not the way we do things. It's so easy to parent using fear and control to try to keep kids, you know, obedient or whatever it is. It's not the way of Jesus. It's easy to get caught in office politics. It's not the way of Jesus. And even if we have a seemingly good goal in mind, the means we have used ends up negating any benefit you think you're getting. I think the ultimate, <laughs> I'm a fan of therapy. I'm a fan of like referencing things. I, I'm not against um, using resources. But the ultimate kind of like shallowness of the self-help movement is that it points you to becoming better at using your own power. But you aren't enough. <laughs> You don't have enough strength. You don't have enough wisdom. You don't have enough willpower to pull things off. And the benefit of the gospel of what's completely different is that you actually say, I'm not enough. 
Thank God Jesus was, though. And he is giving me his power. And so the world desperately needs people who are willing to imitate Jesus. Oh, man, Thousand Oaks needs people not just to say Christian things, but to actually imitate Jesus. Doing the things he did, but also the way he did them. Where we can have marriages full of humility and honor for one another. Parents who are willing to sacrificially love their kids at 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. and then 4 a.m. again. The world needs this. But this story is not done. See, Jesus, I think, not Jesus, John, the author, he wants us to know something special here. Verse 2. The devil already put the betrayal on Jesus' heart. Verse 11 of John 13. He says, "Uh, not everyone here is clean. Why? Because Judas was there. Verse 18. We didn't read it. That there's going to be a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. That someone was going to betray him. The more I read this passage this week, the more and more and more I am convinced the reason why John wanted us to know this, it's not that Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It's not that Jesus washed even Peter's feet, although we learned a lot from that. John wants us to know Judas was there. Jesus washed Judas's feet seconds before he would betray him. Do you guys realize that? That's power. That's something completely different. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't know how, how, how we could do that. And so Jesus is going to use this kingdom power, all his authority, all his power, to sit at the feet of his enemy and to honor his enemy, to serve and love his enemy. That's something completely different. Because I think an easy application of this is we all get a bunch of towels, like, okay, serve each other's feet, husband, serve wife. We go around and like, okay, this whole room, we're going to turn into a bunch of foot washing. And that's, that's, that's a powerful moment, but we find people we like. We find people whose feet don't stink that bad, right? Right? Someone was joking, I'm like, I'm wearing flip-flops today. It's like, oh, I see what's going on here, Rob. Yeah, No. <laughs> But think of the person who you are convinced already has or a person who just has betrayed you. Think of the person who would seek to be your enemy. The person who you need to get back because they got one on you. That's who Jesus is washing. And that feels (laughs) just unattainable. Right? Jesus, I, I can't, are you kidding me? I could do some people, I can do my neighborhood, I can do this and that, but like, not that house. Not that person at work. They literally, like, they ripped me up. They tried to get me fired. And I, self-control, boundaries, I write them out of my life. And here's Jesus washing Judas's feet. I've been saving this verse till, till now, but 2 Corinthians 12, it's going to be on the screen. This is a, a banger. This entire chapter is amazing. But there's this guy, Paul. He's amazing, wrote half the New Testament. Spirit of God uses him in tremendous ways. He's having an argument with God 
upset that God would not change something in his own life. We don't know what that is, but this is God's response to Paul. He said to me, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made pretty good. No, it's perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so the power of Christ can rest upon me. So for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses. I'm content with insults. I'm content with hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. This is real. This is not hyperbole. This is real. That when you are the, re- the recipient of weaknesses, of insults, of hardships, of persecutions, when you feel like, I can't possibly do this anymore, that's the opportunity to encounter the true power of God. It's not to make your life better. <laughs> it's so you can love. Then you're going to have to dig deep. Oh, wait, I'm using the wrong power source. God, I need you. More than ever. That's what digging deep looks like. It's remaining dependent and knowing, yeah, I need this. And so when you are feeling your weakest, that's the opportunity that we get to have true union with God. That's the opportunity we have that how do we participate? How do we experience the power of God? It happens at the cross. It happens at the foot of washing someone's feet. That's when we experience the power of God. Not just so I can have a bigger house, bigger mortgage, bigger family. It's so I can love other people. That I can do the things of Jesus. But this moment, I, I want to be clear here. We're, we're kind of wrapping things up. I don't want you to get from this. I know this has been kind of a hard sermon to hear. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard teaching. I am not telling you, you need to go out there and wash feet. Go get them. Go, go, go. And then this week, you're just like, wow, failure, 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 failure. I did it one, but that was kind of easy, actually. Like, I don't want to do that anymore. The point isn't that you have to wash feet. Next week, we're going to talk a lot about, like, the Christian love. That's what the next speaker is going to be talking about. The, The thing I want us to look at this week is that Jesus washes your feet. Right now, if you are thinking, if you're going to a place of shame, if you're going to a place of guilt, if you're thinking of your own failure, that's not the point. It's that Jesus continually washes you. Jesus continually ministers to you, and he's good. He's not shaming you. He loves you, and he wants to spend time with you. And we find union with him in a place of humility. That's actually the path of true power. It's through humility It's through love. It's through sacrifice. That's the place of joy. That's the place of peace. And it's offered to us. And so Jesus, we need him to continually serve me. I don't want to be a Christian in my own strength anymore. It works terrible. I don't want a parent in my own strength anymore. I love that this week, that this, this passage came on the week before Thanksgiving 
because we're all going into family dynamics. <laughs> you guys know, right? If you're sitting next to that person, you're like, oh, hey, 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 what are you talking about? Um, who is in the room or at the table or who is not in the room and at the table, it screams this week when you look at the brokenness in our families at times. The point isn't to identify who Judas is and to get him. The point is to identify who Judas is and serve them. I need Jesus to be able to do that. And so this week, I actually, uh, thanks to, uh, <laughs> thank you guys. Um, I got a bunch of shop. There's, there's nothing fancy. We did not like pray over these and bless them and you can have a miracle if you get the towel. Um, they're shop towels. Uh, and we wrote John 13 on them. All right? We have them there. They're by the communion. They're in these little baskets on the ground. I'm going to ask you guys to grab one of these, all right? We have like 200. We should have enough. It's not just one per family. It's because some of you need to remember, I need the power of God to husband or to wife well. I need the power of God to be a son in a family dynamic well. And so this is not just when you need strength. It's also when you feel your weakest. And so the idea behind this is put this in a spot. Maybe if you want to, you know, Stash it in your duffel bag so when you grab your laptop out for a meeting, you remember, power of God. Maybe it's by the uh, diaper changing station, right? Or maybe it's by the kitchen where you're like, oh my gosh, one more snack. We're going to die, right? <laughs> if you know, you know. It's not for us just to endure. It's that we would choose the things of God through the power of God. And so I want this to be a visual reminder to you that God loves you, that Jesus serves you. Not because you're high and mighty. No, he knows who he is. <laughs> but you are that dearly loved. And if we want to do the things of Jesus, we desperately need to daily and daily and daily be cleansed by him. We need his power on us. So if the band wants to come on up here. If you are new, I'm going to explain kind of what we do. We like to get rowdy. In response, uh, we have a few songs here. Uh, you don't have to wait till the first song is over to get communion, by the way. A little notice this. But um, we like to respond. The point of worship is we respond to the work of God. And so there's a few ways we do that. Uh, the first way is the band's going to be singing a song. Sing, sing along. We want to worship God. We want to say true things about him. The other way we do this is we have prayer teams. I see Jen, we, the Weir's. And then uh, someone else is going to be over here. You guys? All right, sweet. We got Vincent Holly over here. That maybe God brought something up. Maybe you're thinking of Thanksgiving. You're realizing what's requiring. Maybe it's a something at work, something in your house. Pray. These people, they would love to pray with you. If you have someone in your community group, grab them. Pull them aside. They would love to minister to you. We need each other. We also have giving where we have a bucket over there, but most of it is online. You go through the app. You can do what you want. We want to be generous. Why? Because... Look how good Jesus is. We have a generous God who gives us. We respond to that same generosity. And so we have prayer, we have giving, we have communion, we have sing. And so with communion, once again, the towels are there. I want you to grab a towel. I know sometimes one of you sends someone up to grab the communion elements, but grab that. But I love it because the towel is the washing of feet. That is a metaphor for what communion is. That Jesus would love us so much that he would give of his body. And so the cracker represents his broken body. 
The juice represents his shed blood. That's what ultimately cleanses us. That's what saves us. That's what makes us a follower of Jesus. It's what he accomplished through his death and through his resurrection. So I want to pray for us. Jesus, we need you more and more and more. The longer we live, Lord, it, it, it's so easy for us to run to our own strength. But Jesus, I pray that we would be a people that are centered on you. God, as a world that looks increasingly dark, um, God, we don't want to just identify darkness and say, there it is. Lord, you call us to serve it. You call us to love. You call us to, to wash feet. And so, Jesus, I pray right now, just in this tent, just knowing there's so many places that our minds are going, there's so many places our soul is heavy, um, I pray that you would just minister, or that there would be grace to everyone who needs grace. So, Spirit, I pray that you would be the one who is <laughs> blowing through this tent. I pray that you would be the one whose voice is loudest in our souls. Thank you, Jesus, that you would love us. Amen.